0: Every piece of generating equipment, whether it's conventional, whether it's renewable, fails at times. And it's just got to be part of the the planning. There is no perfect system.
1: Can an electric utility go from 10% to 50% renewable energy in just five years and simultaneously lower costs for customers? It is not a theoretical question. To give the answer, we're joined by the CEO of the Kauai Island Utility Cooperative, David Bissell. He'll explain how this island utility made the massive jump to clean energy since 2014 and what lessons its technological progress and its cooperative ownership model provides for utilities across the United States in their shift to solar, batteries, and other clean technologies. I'm John Farrell, Director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is Local Energy Rules, a podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. Welcome to the program, David.
0: Thank you, John, and uh, aloha from Kauai.
1: Well, again, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, We last spoke with a member of Kauai Island Utility Cooperative's board back in 2014. At the time, there was a lot of interest in renewable energy as a way to solve really high fuel prices for the island's electricity generation, mostly oil-fired. So I would love to just start out by asking you, what has changed since 2014 in terms of what you've already been able to develop and kind of what the plans are going forward?
0: Yeah, thank, there's been an incredible amount of change since 2014. To put a little context, back then when you were speaking to our board chairman at the time, Jan Ten Kate, who's still on our board, I believe we were about 13% renewable. And rolling forward from 2014 to 2019, this year will be around 55%. So Jan, I believe, made some broad predictions about storage becoming a key component of our renewable efforts, and that's came true. Since then, we've uh, developed and have in service two large PV and storage projects. The first was done with Tesla, and that was the first really uh, large-scale PV and storage project done anywhere in the world. That was... uh, 13 megawatts by four hours of storage, so 52 megawatt hours, and about 5 or 6 percent of our island's energy, and a, somewhere around 20 percent of our nighttime peak from that that project was able to be met. And then just this year, we about doubled that with a project we've done with uh, AES solar. That is a 20 megawatt ACPV project with 100 megawatt hours of storage, so five hours of storage. That enables us to use, meet up to 40% of our nighttime peak with that project. And we have in construction this year, well into construction, another storage project with AES at the military base on the island, which will be about the size of the Tesla project in terms of solar and that'll also have five hours' worth of storage. The really interesting thing about the one on the base is that project is located within the fence of the Navy base, and there'll be more than enough storage to power the whole base for a number of days if there was any uh, grid event or other issue where they couldn't rely on the grid. So they'll be able to actually island the base from a, a security and operational side and run off the batteries. So a lot of uh, great projects since we last talked, and that by the end of next year, when the base project is complete, we'll be up at 60 to 65 percent. And we're also working on a large uh, integrated pump storage project on our west side that'll really have a, a, a little bit of everything. We're calling it the hybrid project. It'll have run of ditch hydro. It'll have pump storage hydro. It'll have a large PV field, and it'll also have a a battery in it, so it'll have a little bit of all the technologies. That project will provide around 15 to 20% of Kauai's energy, and all told, all these projects will be pushing us real close to uh, 80% renewable.
1: Wow, and people say that batteries and water don't mix. (laughs) This is terrific. One of the reasons it's so exciting to talk to you about this is that Kwai is an island. So whereas many other communities are trying to make these decisions in the context of a larger grid. You know, if Minnesota is talking about shifting to renewables, there's always power we can draw from Wisconsin or the Dakotas or from Iowa. And here, when you're planning your system, you are doing it in isolation. You've, you know, the resources that you have are the only resources that you can tap. The other one I think is really interesting to talk about is the cost. Some of the stories that I've read that got me interested in Kauai in the first place was about how the utility had been served by another company. The company was no longer interested in giving utility service. So, you know, it was a cooperative that bought it out. And one of the big challenges that you faced back then was that the utility rates, the costs for customers were among the highest of any on the Hawaiian islands. And not only has this renewable energy transition really lowered the carbon emissions and the cost of buying oil, it sounds like it's also having an impact on making your rates more competitive. Is that right?
0: Absolutely. And it's really a combination of at least two factors. One is the renewable projects that we've succeeded in bringing online. And two is just the co-op nature and a focus on reducing costs and keeping costs as low as we possibly can. But just to give you an idea of how much we've changed since we were formed in 2002, back then we were 80% higher than Oahu. And over the last several months, we've been below 10% higher than Oahu. So we've radically narrowed the gap to an island that's 10 times our size and and currently burns coal as well as uh, oil over there. So we've Got real close to Oahu, we've been at par or below Maui and the, the big island over the last year. So the combination of the co-op and the renewables have, have essentially done away with the rate disparity between the islands.
1: What do you see happening in the future with costs? You, you said by the end of next year, nearly 80% renewable, you're going to be presumably burning less oil than ever in order to supply that energy do you think costs will continue to fall because these newer supplies, the technology keeps getting better, et cetera, or are you going to reach a limit kind of on how low prices can go simply because once you've installed these things, you know, all the cost is up front. You don't have fuel costs and, you know, with the batteries or with the hydro or with the solar power.
0: Yeah. Well, we're, we're emphasizing stability and our goal is really to hold cost. They may drop a little bit as we bring in some more projects, But really, our goal is to keep our rates at about the same level. But looking out over a 20-year period, we think we have a very legitimate chance of holding at that level, even considering inflation. So while Hawaii's rates are going to be higher than the mainland, over time, we expect the mainland rates will keep going up with inflation. We think because of our, we're essentially have our prices fixed that we can hold at a steady rate. So, Over a 20-year period, our rates should become more competitive even with the mainland. So it's a a stability issue.
1: I find that fascinating, actually. I'm going to circle back to that in a little bit here because I have a quote from Adam Browning of Solar I want to share. But I want to ask, before that, just in terms of this shift to renewables, you have named a number of fairly large projects, the Tesla project and the ones with AES. I was curious about what the role of customers have been. You know, A co-op is this unique structure for a utility where the customers are actually part owners. First of all, why does that matter? What's important about that distinction in terms of a cooperative ownership structure versus a traditional utility? And then what has been the role of customers in this transition, whether that's in terms of the decision-making process or in terms of what they maybe have done themselves with renewable energy?
0: Well... The, the role of a co-op is fundamentally different than an investor-owned and in that we only have one interest, and that's providing reliable electrical service to our members at as low a cost as we possibly can while still staying financially viable. We don't have any outside shareholders or anybody else that we have to, to please and, and make earnings from, so we're totally focused on on our rates for our members, and over time, that's reflecting in, in our success relative to the investor-owned. Now, in terms of rooftop solar, we've been very supportive since we've been formed. Our, our approach has always been, if our members want it, we're trying to find ways to allow them to have solar on their their houses or businesses and not coming up with ways not to uh, stop them from having solar. And since 2014, again, where we started our conversation about Rooftop systems on the island have increased by 80 percent, and we currently have 31 megawatts of distributed solar on the island. So really that's almost as big as the Tesla and AES projects sitting on the roofs and throughout the island. So it's been a part of us. It's about 25 percent of our total renewable, renewable generation. It helps provide diversity to our system, and... We've been really supportive of it from the start. Our approach is our members should be able to do what they want on and, and their homes or businesses, as long as it doesn't cause a significant uh, system issue for us.
1: I want to talk a little bit about there was a, a power outage in July, and I just ran across this because I was doing background research to make sure I was up to speed before we had our conversation. And, you know, it was, I guess, fairly widespread. And I just want to lead with one question I think that lots of people ask and are curious about when it comes to renewables. Was this outage caused by being too aggressive on renewables? Is it because you didn't have enough solar or wind or whatever? Are there lessons from this, I guess, is what I would say about the technical challenges of operating a grid with a lot of renewables on it?
0: Yeah, the initial outage really had little or nothing to do with renewables. It was a failed piece of equipment at our largest generator. Now, maybe would the whole island outage have been avoided if we'd have had total fossil fuel generators out there? Perhaps the interplay of a lot of renewables being ran on inverters and uh, and a significant fault may have contributed to the island going black. But the initial cause of it was actually on our conventional generation, really, rolling forward from once we got the island back up online which we're pretty good at that here because we have a lot of small generators that can start up pretty quickly so we had the whole island back in two or three hours but after that we then had a generation resource problem that necessitated rolling blackouts for a day or so period and that that's where the renewables definitely came into play because we were short for a couple of factors, uh, including scheduled maintenance and some unscheduled outages on conventional generation, we've gotten where we've been able to count increasingly on our battery storage to help us out during uh, peak periods. But batteries are, of course, dependent on having energy from the sun to charge them. And after we had this outage, just kind of on a streak of bad luck, the next day, When we needed those batteries, it was one of the worst weather days we've had over the last year or so, where it was just socked in bad weather throughout the island, where we had very, very little solar production. So we were only able to charge those batteries up, I think, to 15 or 20 percent, and it was not enough to get us through, through our peak periods. There's probably been, over the last year, year and a half, two days like that, where we don't get enough to put a significant charge in the battery, and it was just kind of a perfect storm of bad luck that it happened when we were short on generation. Also, another factor we didn't really think much about is this bad weather compounded our generation issue because that 30 or 35 megawatts or 30 megawatts of distributed solar, all of that really goes away as well, and it's got to be covered by something else when the sun isn't shining. So there was a, several compounding factors on availability of conventional generation and essentially our backup renewable generation that all came through over that next day period. And uh, we had no choice but to roll blackouts.
1: it's really interesting. I, I think it's fascinating to hear that you have some lessons that you're learning about the way that the renewables interact. But funny that the whole issue started with a problem with a conventional generator. And so I think it's a kind of speaks to this issue of there's this perception that, oh, if it's a gas or a nuclear facility or an oil fired one, well, it's always available. It's dispatchable is the term we like to use in the industry. You can count on it whenever, but you can count on it until you can't. And it's just that maybe, you know, I remember looking into this a little bit with wind a few years back where folks are talking about how as forecasting has gotten better, the shortages if you will from renewables become more knowable like we we can tell you hey tomorrow is not going to be a windy day or tomorrow is not likely to be a very sunny day and we're getting better at knowing that ahead of time but with conventional generation because there are moving parts and motors and engines and whatever things sometimes just break and we you know you can't always account for that i guess do you have any thoughts about what that means as you have fewer conventional sources on there. You said, you know, you have the batteries. It sounds like this is not likely to be a problem that recurs very often to have this perfect storm of a failure of a conventional generator and a bad day for renewables. Have you thought much about how you might plan for that?
0: Well, every utility designs its system that handle some contingencies and not just losing one, one generator shouldn't cause your system to go Black or not have enough resources available. We had a situation where both our first and third units were down, and one of our essentially, with the batteries not there, that becomes either our second or third largest again, not counting. So, really, probably three of our four largest generators were unavailable. That's a problem whether it's conventional, whether it's renewable, or whatever. No system builds enough redundancy to cover that many uh, problems. Now, if we're on a grid, the overall grid has the ability, the mainland grid has more generators to compensate for that. But on a standalone island, that would be prohibitively expensive. So back to your original point, every piece of generating equipment, whether it's conventional, whether it's renewable, fails at times. And it's just got to be part of the, the planning. There is no perfect... System. You know, one of the things we're looking at is we have an aging conventional fleet, and how do we deal with periods if we have generating problems and there's an extended uh, bad weather event? We've had times where it's rained for 40 days on Kauai. Solar and batteries are not going to be the answer in that situation. You have to have a mix of conventional and some other technology to uh, cover for. So we it's one of the reasons why we're really excited about the pump storage and hydro project because that'll give us, within the storage capability of the reservoirs, a day or up to several days of generation we can count on if the weather's bad. So that becomes another way to diversify our fleet and reduce the risk. But it's really, you got to have all available resources to transition to very high percentage renewable. And on Kauai, we don't have any. We're unable to do wind, so there's one major technology really off the table to start with because of uh, endangered species issues. So we got to use our, our resources are solar and hydro. And if you start moving towards 100% renewable, if you'd have you could use conventional generating fleet, but you'd have to run biofuels, which are very expensive. So we're trying to do. We're trying to continue to develop hydro to have an, an, another uh, low-cost option to running biofuels.
1: Well, and it, as folks would know, of course, even at 80% renewable, you would have accomplished something far ahead of what is happening in other places around the country, uh, even around the world, which is pretty remarkable for a small island utility. We're going to take a short break. When we come back... We ask what lessons Kauai Island's move to renewable energy might provide for Puerto Rico, whose mostly fossil fuel grid system was devastated by Hurricane Maria in 2017. We'll also check in if Hawaii will continue to be a postcard from the future for mainland U.S. energy systems. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. Speaking of small islands, you know, you and I met this past March in Puerto Rico at a conference kind of talking about the opportunities for their grid system. For folks that don't know, their grid system suffered a catastrophic outage with Hurricane Maria, a strike of a category four or five hurricane back in 2017 that left the entire island blacked out for months. We've recorded a couple other podcasts, actually, that you can check out with some folks from Puerto Rico about what happened there and and the rebuilding effort. You came to that event to talk about some of the lessons that you've learned and the work on Kauai, and I was curious, You know, what do you think Puerto Rico could learn from the Kauai Island utility? For one, should they try to transform their ailing utility into a cooperative instead of having it be a a state-owned utility?
0: I think the cooperative model is worth looking into for Puerto Rico, but the situation over there is so complicated that I don't think there's one answer that really solves their problem. You know, uh, co-ops, there's a strong interest, as you probably observed when you were over there, from the population, they like cooperatives over there, the concept of it. They have a very strong credit union presence in Puerto Rico that's essentially a cooperative model whether it could work for the whole island or not with the, the dense population is unknown. I think it could certainly work in areas. And maybe it's uh, more informal co-ops of, of groups of citizens sharing a solar resource or sharing a solar and battery to give themselves more resiliency. I, I think there's certainly pockets where the co-op model could help them. Um, but and I don't know if that's the, the total answer there. It should certainly be looked at. The nice part about a co-op is, is is the people themselves are in control of what the co-op does.
1: Taking out the sort of governance issue for a moment and, and probably having to ignore, unfortunately, the really complicated financial issues that are facing the entire island as well as as the utility company. It seems like just from a technical perspective, but probably also in terms of a long-term cost perspective, that Puerto Rico in some ways is a lot like Kauai was a few years ago, although of course their conventional generation is even older and I think in much poorer condition. But it seems like the lesson from Kauai, at least technically and economically speaking, would be, hey, if you transition to renewables, you have a really great opportunity to lower the cost of the system, make it more resilient, make it more affordable. Would you agree with that?
0: To an extent, I, I, I think the better analogy may be to look at what's going on on Oahu over here. Puerto Rico is another dense urban area and the challenges of moving towards renewables is much, much more difficult for them. We're seeing it in Oahu, you know, they're struggling to get to twenty five or thirty percent renewable despite working really hard at it because they, they don't have the land available that we do for example to put large scale solar down. They they can move the needle so far, but I personally don't think there's a technology, low cost technology that could move Oahu to the eighty percent level that we're at. Now Puerto Rico certainly can move further. Getting to thirty percent renewable would be a real plus over there. And conventional they could do wind and they've got some room for large scale solar and of course there's room for distributed solar. But I think we're different with our rural nature and the the huge amount of land we have available that is much harder to do in in a dense urban environment.
1: Yeah, that's a really important distinction, I think, and I appreciate that. I just want to wrap up by asking you, or coming back to this thing I alluded to earlier when you were talking about the comparison to mainland utilities, Adam Browning of Vote Solar And other folks have often called Hawaii a postcard from the future, as in things that are happening on Kauai or on Oahu, especially with the electricity system, given the high costs of the fossil fuels that have dominated the system for so long, are going to be lessons for what might happen on the mainland in future years as our costs rise to similar levels, but also because the technologies that you have shown to be effective there will become are often even less expensive on the mainland. So what advice would you offer to mainland U.S. utilities, whether they're rural co-ops or urban investor-owned utilities that often already know that renewable energy is inexpensive about this shift to renewable energy?
0: Well, each utility is different. Each location is different. So all of them need to move at their own pace and work with what their customers or members desire and what the opportunities are. But certainly... We have been a postcard of the future. You look where we were originally moving in the distributed solar area. That's becoming widespread throughout the mainland U.S. now. We were early adopters of grid-sized solar. That's starting to become pretty mainstream. So they're certainly moving that way. I think pricing for the large-scale solar is actually relatively, sort of, fairly high degree cheaper than it is over here in most locations because land and labor is cheaper, transportation costs are cheaper, and interconnect costs tend to be cheaper. So as what we like to encourage the co-ops in our network to do is to look long-term planning and look at their generation resources. And as they plan, look, you know, if we have a whole amount invested in a coal plant, for example, can we look and say in 15 years, we likely could replace that with PV and batteries or or some other renewable technology. It's really, I think, becoming a core part of any utility's planning now is to look at renewables as opposed to a conventional.
1: That actually is a good point about something I forgot to ask you which about or think about asking you is one, I think, key difference in the co-op space between Kauai Island and other co-ops is that a lot of co-ops on the mainland kind of decades ago banded together to say when you know we're going to go out and buy our power together collectively to improve our buying power capture economies of scale and there were some big investments made in coal plants or other large facilities many of which are aging at this point although some that still have a number of years left in terms of their useful life in theory although in some cases those resources that they own collectively aren't as economic as renewables you know we're starting to see there's a study just this week from rocky mountain institute saying that within the next decade new renewables plus storage will be able to provide cheaper electricity than even existing existing natural gas plants do you see that as an advantage that the Kauai island utility has had and not having those contractual relationships in the way that some other cooperatives have had where you can, you know, you're making all the choices yourself. You're not obligated to anyone outside the island.
0: Yeah, I think I think without a doubt, our, our circumstances have allowed us to go aggressive on renewables. Not so much as not being part of a group, just the way our generating fleet was that we don't didn't have a huge long term fixed investment in a big generating station that. And ultimately, from an economic side, you're looking at the marginal cost of producing because the the cost of having the generation stations fixed when once you buy into it. So if you have a large coal plant or a large gas plant, the cost is the cost of fuel and operating it that you got to look at and be able to beat. So I I think the co-op network is moving towards renewable. There's been some very good progress in some of the southern states. Uh, North Carolina's banded together and has a large uh, renewable cooperative that can still use the strength of a network and the nonprofit status to bring in resources cheaply and share it amongst them. But if you're a small co-op or a small group of co-ops and you're tied to a large fixed cost that's going to be there for a while, yeah, that's going to slow down the transition. So each each co-op is is they started saying off with utilities in general, each co-op and each area of the country's co-ops are different, different situations, and that'll impact the speed of their transition.
1: So, David, to wrap up, I was hoping to just ask you if there was something that you've read recently or something you've looked to that gives you some inspiration in the work that you do to provide low-cost renewable energy to folks on Kauai Island that other folks could look to.
0: You know, our inspiration here and one thing we're really focused on is resiliency. And sea level changes and and climate change is a a huge concern for us. All we got to do is watch last week with Hurricane Dorian out there. And we really want to do our part to show that we can transition to a a less uh, greenhouse gas intensive way of generating and to, to help the planet. When you're on an island in the middle of the ocean, it's it's critically important to us. So that that's really where we take our inspiration from the environment and, and also from the economic side.
1: Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. It's uh, exciting to hear about what you are doing on Kauai Island and how it can be an inspiration for the rest of us.
0: Well, thank you so much for reaching back out to us after a few years. And, and hopefully uh, a couple of years down the road, we can Talk about being at 80% plus
1: renewable. We'll plan to circle back. We'd like to hear that story. All
0: right. Thank you, John.
1: This is John Farrell, director of ILSR's Energy Democracy Initiative. I was speaking with David Bissell, CEO of the Kauai Island Utility Cooperative in Hawaii, about their dramatic move into renewable energy over the past five years, helping reduce costs and improve resiliency. For more information on cooperatives and clean energy, check out Remembering the Electric Cooperative, one of our reports from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. You can also learn more about Puerto Rico's grid challenges in two other Local Energy Rules podcasts with Ingrid Vila and Marcel Castro-Cideriche from early 2019. While you're at our website, you can also find more than 80 past episodes of the Local Energy Rules podcast. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.